Hey, hey, this is Jeff Pullen, and you are listening to the 5K Every Day in the Month of May 2021 podcast. We are less than one week away from the finish line, and you are doing great. I continue to see posts on the Facebook group page about how people are reaching their 5K goals, beating their best time, feeling great, or just slugging another one out and making their way the only way they know how. Whether you feel like you are killing it or like you feel like it is almost killing you, every day that you go out and get another 5K, you are getting closer and closer to the goal. Many great walkers and runners set out to conquer this challenge and they didn't make it this far. Don't quit now, keep going strong. To kick us off today, here's a song from Poland Band called Seasons. Oh, this world, it changes like the seasons And our attempt to reason And just leaves us empty and warning But you alone, you stand your ground unshaken Oh Lord, when you awaken My hope in you In every season Yeah. 
Don't forget that the Worcester Running Club group run is tonight in Worcester, Ohio at 6 p.m. There will be walkers and runners of all different paces and with all kinds of different goals. Last week, there was a phantom promise of donuts, but alas, no donuts. Instead, we just had a lot of fun. Doug Patton has put together a pleasant 5K course just for you, so do yourself a favor and come on out to join us. It's a great way to get your daily 5K in and to get to meet some fellow 5K mayors. I believe that our entire family will be there tonight, so that should be fun. Piper will probably run with me. I'm only planning on doing a 5K in preparation for the upcoming 5K mayhem, and Jody and the kids will probably plan to walk. So if you are anywhere in the vicinity of Worcester, Ohio, you know, like within three or four hours, come on out and join us. The more, the merrier. And now to help us navigate through what is sure to be an amazing and challenging 5K mayhem event on Saturday, we have Mr. Vertical Runner of Worcester himself, Brian Pullen, offering some tips and advice. We are catching Brian Pullen on the road here. You're heading down to New London, Ohio for the London Marathon. Is that right? Close. Yeah, just regular old London, Ohio. Yeah, I guess you don't have to travel as far as you once thought to get to the London Marathon. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, you know, London is one of the most prestigious marathons in the world. And here it is just two hours south of us. So, no, my friend Dave Mars, he's an elite runner himself. He lives in a town, London, and he always dreamed about having a uh, a marathon and a half marathon in his, in his own hometown. And when no one else decided to do it, he found out, well, I guess this is my job. So he uh, is hosting the inaugural London Marathon and Half Marathon this weekend. And uh, he bought the shirts through Vertical Runner. So I'm driving the shirts halfway down and meet up with them and give a big old hug and all the things that you couldn't do when COVID was in full swing. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. Now you are an ultra marathoner. You've run uh, far distances many times, last man standing events, and we are coming into the 5k mayhem on Saturday. I thought it would be appropriate for you to give us some tips and advice how would you approach this, especially knowing that the people who are going into this have been running every day or days upon days, at least a 5K? What kinds of tips and advice do you have so that they can have a successful 5K mayhem? It's interesting. You know, when you mentioned to me that we were going to be talking about tips or 5K mayhem, the very first one that popped in my head was don't run if you're leading into an adventure like this, do not run for a couple days leading in, let your body repair, let all the sore muscles come back to equilibrium. Well, of course, if you're in the middle of 5K May, taking a day off is not an option, of course. So I was thinking, you know, what would be the next best thing? So if you are a person who has been running predominantly, almost all your miles have been running. You know, every day you get up and you run 5K or five miles or whatever your normal routine is to, to satisfy the requirements. Maybe you mix in some slower paces at the end of this week. So when you get into Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe those runs that are normally in the nine minute range, maybe you do uh, you know, a 10, 11 minute mile, or maybe you run a half a mile, walk a half a mile, or maybe you just walk the whole thing just to kind of let your body relax. Um, I know, especially looking at the Facebook page, a lot of people are starting to mention sore muscles and I got an ouchie here and my legs are dead and some of the normal things that are gonna happen with a major challenge like this. So I was thinking, since taking full days off is not an option, maybe we start just backing off our intensity of our runs. 
I think also it'd be very important just to spend a few days working on some of those tricky muscles that are starting to bother you. So lots of foam rolling, lots of self-massage, and you really want to go to the starting line of this really ridiculous challenge that you've created, 5K Mayhem. You want to get there as close to 100% as you possibly can, knowing that you've walked, ran for 28 straight days leading into it. So that would be the number one goal. And if you can pull that off, I think the second most important thing is have a plan. And I've been really encouraged by looking at the Facebook page and seeing that people are already starting to think down that road, potentially because they're returners to this 5K May. But people are already starting to plan, you know, what should I eat? What should I do? What should I wear? I think having a really solid plan is really important because if you roll into this thing with no plan, no supplies, no expectations, you might be surprised come mile or hour five, six, seven, just how difficult it becomes. I think that asking around with people who have done it, I think it's a really smart thing. If I were doing it, which I won't be, I'll be doing what I do every May. I will be sitting at a baseball field cheering on Bo's baseball team, which seems to be what I do every single time. I've considered potentially doing it in the midst of the baseball, but I looked at the schedule and it turns out I'm going to be on the road driving to and from during two of the major sessions. And it's uh, an hour, 20 minute drive. And can you imagine how annoyed my family would be if I said, hey, we got to pull over for gas here real quick. And I came back 20 minutes later, it wouldn't be real impressed. So I'm going to miss 5K Mayhem. But if it were me, I would find some of my friends that were also doing it because I think a challenge like this, 10 times more fun with friends. Misery absolutely loves company. You know, if you start to really grind hours six, seven, eight, and you're by yourself, the motivation to keep going is not very high. But if you know that your friends are hurting just as bad and they're heading back out on the next hour, that makes it pretty easy to get up out of the chair and get moving along. So, you know, Jeff, I should ask you, what's your plan? I mean, what are you going to do for 5K Mayhem? I'm going to run. And then I'm <laughs> yeah, gonna where, run. yeah, where are you running and who are you running with? And, you know, what, what do you plan to eat? I know last year our dad came over and made more grilled cheese sandwiches than he's ever seen in his whole life. I mean, is that the plan again? Do we need to get his flipper out and get him ready to go? Yeah, you know, we're going to have some people who are meeting at our place. I've got several 5Ks that I love to do from our house. I am not the kind of guy who enjoys running flat. So a lot of people like to go to the trail and do that. I'm not so much into that. For me, I would rather have some uphills and some downhills, some flat, change up the muscles. Obviously, I'm hydrating now in preparation. I'm going to have a nice pasta on Friday night. And I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have a cup of coffee, and I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to feel the freedom to go quite a bit slower. I may run one lap kind of faster. And uh, I may even do a victory mostly walk last lap. So, yeah, yeah hoping for some, some uh, significant grilled cheese somewhere in the middle. The reason I ask you that is because you're an experienced runner. You've completed 5K Mayhem in the past. Heck, we should get Piper on here and ask her what her plans are. She has demolished 5K Mayhem too. But, you know, a lot of the things you just mentioned, you've got a plan to run with some people. You've got some routes already in mind that play to your strengths. For example, if you know you're not really into running flat, you didn't choose a whole bunch of flat routes. You've picked routes that play into your strengths already your pre-run food of having a big pasta meal the night before. 
like these are a lot of things that I think people should be thinking down that road. You've already thought about them. To you, it's it's easy, but for someone who's going into this fresh, who has not necessarily done it before, these might be just amazing tips that might save their day. I will also mention that as important as having a solid plan is, it's maybe more important to be able to be flexible when your plan goes completely into the trash can. So you're going to think you've got all the food that you need. You're going to think you've got all the routes that you need. And then all of a sudden, you know, hour seven, eight, nine, you're gonna be like, I cannot run that route again. If I tried, I need something fresh. I need something interesting and be able to just kind of make it up on the go and, and have fun with it. Cause ultimately that's what it's all about. It's about having fun. It's about kind of pushing your limits and seeing what you can do. I hope you enjoyed that super practical and helpful advice from Brian Poland. If you have not yet decided if you're doing the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge, I have two words for you. Do it. It's going to be so much fun. See how far you can go. Push yourself. Push your friends. Have fun. I will be checking in each lap on Facebook Live, and we would love it if you would also check in to let us know how 5K Mayhem is going for you wherever you are at. For now, let's get back to our daily Bible reading. We are currently in the Gospel of John. Chapter 8 Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, You are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, These claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards. But I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect. Because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witnesses accept it as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father? They asked. Jesus answered, Since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested, because his time had not yet come. Later Jesus said to them again, I am going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean you cannot come where I am going? Jesus continued, You are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world, but I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They demanded. Jesus replied, The one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. 
for I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father, they replied. We aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, You Samaritan devil! Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, Now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say, Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, If I want glory for myself, it doesn't count, but it is my father who will glorify me. You say, He is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, You aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. The opening verse of chapter 8 gives us a bit of insight into the secret life of Jesus. John 8 verse 1 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. What is so interesting about this simple verse? Well, Jesus was a creature of habit. He habitually withdrew to lonely places to pray, and one of his favorite places to pray, it seems, was the Mount of Olives. 
The Mount of Olives is a nice, quiet range of hills overlooking the Temple Mount. In the English language, we tend to think of the word mount as referring to a particular peak, but in Hebrew, the word is referring more to a range of peaks or a mountainous area. The Mount of Olives is definitely more of a range of peaks. It is directly east of Jerusalem and it overlooks much of the city. The Mount of Olives serves as a physical barrier between the Judean desert and the city of Jerusalem. The physical and geographical differences are incredible. Even the climate is different on one side of the mount in comparison to the other, even though the physical distance is so small, roughly one to two miles. To get from Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, to Jerusalem, where all the Jewish feasts would be held, you would most likely pass through the Mount of Olives. Jesus passed through this area often, and it appears that he spent a lot of time praying in the Mount of Olives. Though John does not mention it by name, Matthew and Mark mention that the Garden of Gethsemane is the location for the prayers that John records Jesus praying prior to his betrayal and arrest coming up in chapter 17. The Garden of Gethsemane is located within the Mount of Olives. Perhaps the Garden of Gethsemane is the location that Jesus returned to here in John 8 as well. It was still the Festival of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, it has many names, and Jesus has been dealing with all kinds of issues and questions and growing tension. In fact, in the morning, when he wakes up and goes back to the temple to teach, he is going to be confronted by the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees who are bringing a woman to him who has been caught in adultery because they want to trap him and see what he has to say about it. To put it lightly, it's a stressful time. And how does Jesus deal with stressful times? Well, likely the same way that he deals with every moment, by praying. While the text does not explicitly say that Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives to pray, that would be my guess as to why John threw that otherwise unnecessary sentence in here. Jesus' return to the Mount of Olives seems to be synonymous with Jesus spent the night in prayer. I vividly remember being in the Mount of Olives myself and taking the time to just be alone with God to pray. It was a serene and deeply meaningful time. This pattern of private prayer, it seems, was a regular custom for Jesus. As a follower of Christ, I believe it would be incredibly beneficial for us to actually follow Christ, informing these consistent patterns of prayer in our own lives. Chapter 9 As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, Nah, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, He put mud over my eyes, and then I washed it away, and I could see. 
Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or what healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, He is old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do? They asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that is very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what happened, he found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Here in John 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples took the opportunity to ask Jesus a completely normal, sensible question. Why? Why was this man born blind? His disciples asked him. I resonate deeply with this question. Why do things like this happen? Why is there so much hate and injustice in the world? These questions are really just another way of asking the classic question, why do bad things happen to good people? The answer to that question, of course, is that there are no good people. The only bad thing that ever happened to a good person was when Jesus was betrayed, falsely accused, beaten, forced to carry a cross, and then hung on the cross and left to die. In that case, the answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people, would be so the power of God could be seen. The same answer is given here in John 9. The disciples go a little further with the details of their question and thereby reveal their ignorance. Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sins, they asked. And Jesus answered, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. That's John 9 verse 3. Then, of course, Jesus healed the man, revealing the power of God through him. What should we understand from this story and from the conversation surrounding it? What should our takeaway be? Certainly this story is not in the Bible just so that we know that it happened. There has to be something God is trying to tell us through it. As I mentioned before, I resonate deeply with the question, but do I resonate as deeply with the answer? 
Right now, our family is walking through the book of Job as we do our family Bible time. What a crazy story. Life was good for Job. Everything was going great. He was a righteous man with a happy, healthy family and many possessions. God was so proud of him, in fact, that he actually bragged to Satan about Job. Check out Job chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Then Satan accused Job of only being a man of complete integrity because of the ways that God had blessed him. The accuser told God, reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So God allowed Satan to take everything from Job. His possessions, gone. His children, dead. And eventually even his own health, devastated. Still, even at the pleadings of his own wife, Job did not sin by blaming God. Instead, he told her, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? That's Job 2 verse 10. To add insult to injury, Job had three friends drop by, and I'm definitely using quoted fingers for the word friends. After sitting with him in silence for seven days, they opened their mouths to show themselves to be every bit as foolish as the disciples were here in John 9. Their basic conclusion was that Job must have sinned, and that was why so many terrible things had happened to him. But they were wrong. Bad things happened to him so that the power of God could be seen. After seemingly endless back and forth between Job and his miserable friends, Job wanted to hear directly from God, and God did not disappoint. God showed up and thundered from on high, putting Job and his three friends in their rightful place. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. That's Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Of course, If you know the story of Job, then you know that after this conversation, God restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before, and he lived 140 years afterwards, dying as an old man who had lived a long, full life. It is an amazing story, and it is one that the disciples should have been familiar with here in John 9. Instead of focusing on what was possible through the hand of God, they focused on the negative, like Job's friends did. Instead of noticing the blind man and asking Jesus to heal him, they immediately concluded that either this man or his parents were sinners. We are all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But do we focus on that, on our shortcomings, or do we focus on the one who alone can redeem, restore, and renew? Yesterday, our youngest daughter, six years old, ran her first 5K. She finished in 34 minutes flat. I was super proud of her. I think that's pretty amazing. She has been walking and mixing a little bit of running in, keeping up with the 5K every day in the month of May 2021 challenge, and she wanted to run a full 5K before the end of the month, and yesterday was the day that she chose. We got about a mile and a half in, and she was just about toast. My legs hurt. My feet are on fire. I can't do this. We had to stop just long enough for me to talk to her and remind her that she was the one who wanted to do this. I told her she could stop now and just walk later to finish her 5K if she wanted, but if she was going to keep running, then she needed to do it with a good attitude. She chose to keep running. As she made her way past three miles and sprinted with everything that she had towards the finish line, she was so proud of herself. She was so full of joy, and she should be. That was amazing. 
And here's the deal. You'll never get to the other side, to that side of pure joy, without going through some hardship and some pain and some discomfort. And the hardship, pain, and discomfort does not necessarily mean that you sinned, though sinning is a sure way to get all of those things if that's what you're looking for. Sometimes the hardship, pain, and discomfort are only there so the power of God can be seen in you. This world is not perfect. Heaven is perfect, but this world is not. It was perfect until man decided that he knew better than God. And one day, on the other side of all this hardship, pain, and discomfort, those who put their faith in Christ alone for salvation will go to a place where we know that we don't know better than God, and it will be a place of pure joy. Until then, let's try to look at the positive, at what God can do, and at what God has done, rather than at the negative. This poor man who had been blind from birth was completely healed, but the Pharisees couldn't see the healing. All they could see was hatred for the healer. So they questioned the man who was healed, then they questioned his parents, and then they questioned the man again. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. That's John 9 verse 24. They were willing to see God's hand in the miracle healing, but not Jesus' hand. Clearly, their minds were closed to the fact that Jesus was God. And I love the man's response. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I do know this. I was blind, and now I can see. That's John 9, verse 25. You don't have to have it all figured out to see this very simple truth. I once was blind, then Jesus came along, and now I see. Chapter 10. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, 
How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods and you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing and stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. We see here in John 10, 10, that the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus's purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. Satan is the thief. He is the same accuser that was mentioned earlier when I was talking about the book of Job. He wants to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. He wants to end our lives, whether by his hand or by our own. In fact, when Judas betrayed Jesus, which ultimately led to the despair that drove him to hang himself, he was following the will of Satan, not the will of God. You can see this clearly in the Gospel of Luke. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. That's Luke 22, verses 3 through 4. And we will soon read about this again in the Gospel of John. In John 13, verse 2, it says, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. We do not have to follow that plan. We can always choose to follow God's plan. Jesus left heaven and came to earth to show us how to live. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. God raised him from the dead to show that the payment was sufficient. He did this for us so that we could experience a rich and satisfying life. He wants us to experience this rich and satisfying life now and an eternally rich and satisfying life with God forever in heaven when we naturally pass from this life to the next. Are you experiencing that rich and satisfying life today? Don't give in to the empty promises and the persuasion of the thief. Give your life fully to Jesus. He has amazing plans for your life. This is what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The future and hope that God has for us can be found. Jeremiah helps us to understand how in the verses that follow this awesome promise. When you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. That's Jeremiah 29 verses 12 through 14. 
I hope that throughout this daily Bible reading bonus challenge and throughout the daily 5K May 2021 podcast, you have been able to see a clearer picture of who Jesus is, how much he loves you, and how worthy he is of your praise. If you are not willingly choosing to follow Jesus with your life, then by default, you will be led by Satan. There is no third option. Even if we think we are leading ourselves, we are really just fooling ourselves and following in the footsteps of Satan, who also rebelled against God rather than submitting to God's good and perfect plan. Pray to God and he will listen. Look for him wholeheartedly and you will find him. To wrap up today's podcast, here's a song from my upcoming solo record, which I'm really excited about, and the song is called Great Things You Have Done. I don't know how long I will travel Taking these trips around the sun But I know as long as I'm able I will make best of each one and each day you wake me up is a day I lift you up yeah. if these lungs keep breathing by your grace then this tongue will keep pouring out your praise and if this blood Because you